we are celebrating Father's Day, and uh, so we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4 today, and so if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, feel free to do that at this time. But uh, I know that typically whenever we come to Father's Day, it's interesting to me as a pastor, it's real easy to do this. On Mother's Day, you know, we talk about our mothers, of course they're saintly, and it would say really are, and then we get to Father's Day, and then we just like to beat the tar out of dads. As, and that's easy to do as a pastor, and so you're going to be happy to know that today I'm going to continue the tradition. Now, I'm kidding. We're going to give dads a break today. Dads, you guys, this is going to be your day. So it's going to be a good day. So we're going to look in Luke 17, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to talk about just some great things, the influence that a dad has in the lives of his family. Uh, there was a, a priest that was uh, going to New York City in order to visit some family members, and he was walking, and he happened to walk through the section of town known as the Bowery. Now, the Bowery is just a very rough section, and as he was walking through there, he felt somebody sticking like a gun up to his back, and he told him, he said, I want you to give me all your money. And so the uh, priest was reaching around to grab his wallet when the man saw his clerical collar. He said, oh my gosh, he goes, forgive me. He said, I had no idea you were a priest. And the priest said, that's all right. He said, why don't we come up? We need to have a talk. So let's sit down. And he goes, I've got an extra cigar. We can smoke together. And the guy said, oh, I can't do that. And he said, I just gave up cigars for Lent. Now, uh, hypocrisy is uh, just sort of like an interesting animal. And the fact of the matter is, is that all of us at one time or another in our lives, we, you know, we, we practice a little bit of hypocrisy. As we are celebrating Father's Day, you know, I think of times whenever I've, I've uh, practiced this, I will, you know, tell my kids, hey, this is something you really need to do, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I've never done it before in my life, and my kids know it. Uh, sometimes as Christians, we like to tell people how they're supposed to live their lives, and yet if you really examine some of the things that we do, you know, we're being hypocritical in how we live. And so hypocrisy is always something that's, that's dangerous. Because there's people who are watching us, and they're gonna, if they're going to decide to take us seriously or not, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the way that we live. And so that was just sort of the impetus for today's message, because I really believe this about dads as we're celebrating Father's Day. I believe that dads have the greatest impact and the most power in the lives of their children and their families than anybody else. And because of that, I think that's why it's tremendously important that dads practice what they preach. That we live lives outside of hypocrisy and that we, when we say something, that we mean it. And when we talk about something that's important, that we live it, especially when it comes to matters of faith. And so today in Luke chapter 17, that's what we're going to see Jesus doing. Jesus was talking to his followers, and he was stressing to them the importance of making sure that they practiced what they preached. And I know a lot of times, for me, it's real easy to get caught up in knowing how I'm supposed to live as opposed to actually practicing how I'm supposed to live. And so, dads, as we examine our text today, I just want us to see some, some practical ways, some practical steps that we can take in order to, to practice what we preach. And so we're going to see this in Luke 17 in just a moment. But just for a little background information, as we are in Luke 17, here's what's going on. Jesus is traveling from, from northern Israel, and he's going south down towards Jerusalem. 
Now, this was not an unusual trip for him. He had taken this trip quite a number of times, but this trip was different than all the others. And the reason why is on this trip, Jesus knew that as he was going to Jerusalem, he knew he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be put on trial. He knew that he was going to be crucified on a cross. And so what that meant is the men that were with him, the disciples, for the first time, they were going to be going through life without Jesus. And so Jesus wanted them to be prepared and to be ready to live a life that would honor him, to live a life without, without hypocrisy. See, Christianity at this time, I won't even call that, but it was in its infancy. And these were going to be the men, the disciples were going to be the men who were going to lead this movement. And so it was vitally important, especially for them, that they practiced what Jesus had taught them. And it's vitally important for us as well. You know, I really believe this. We are living in a world that is desperate to see Christians who really live what they say they believe. And so how do we do that? Well, Jesus shares a couple of steps to help us practice what we preach. And Father, it's just for us, it's for all of us as believers. And here's a couple of things. Here's the first thing that Jesus lets us know. He says, first of all, if we're going to, if we're going to be, make a difference, if we're going to really impact the lives of people, the lives of our children, he said we have to be careful and make sure that we are not a stumbling block to others. That we don't cause people to, to stumble in their journey to Jesus because of the way that we're living. And we see this in the first two verses. This is Jesus. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one who they come through. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones or one of these children to stumble. Now, sin, unfortunately, is a part of life. And so the question is, well, what exactly is sin? Well, you know, sin is anything that is displeasing to God. And, and I think the word sin is a really cool word picture. Um, it is a picture of an archer shooting at a target, shooting an arrow at a target. And as he shoots that arrow at the target, he misses it. And that, and that is what sin is. You see, God has a target for our lives, how he desires for us to live. And whenever we don't achieve that, Whenever we don't do that, we, we miss the target, and that is where the word sin comes from. Now, the Bible lets us know that all of us sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now, it's easy to look at that and say, well, since everybody sins and I'm going to sin, there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's not the way it works. I mean, if you follow after Jesus, if you are a believer and you've committed your life to Christ, one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to sin. You don't want to offend God. Because when Jesus comes into your life and my life, he makes us different. He changes us. He changes even the desires that we have. Now, the Bible says in Romans 6, 11 through 13, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ or to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And he says, don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Okay, that's like a lot of words there. So like, what does all that mean? And I, and I, I, can, I feel like I can explain it in a lot of ways through the whole idea of marriage. Now, for those of us who are married, when you got married, things changed, didn't they? Right? And we all, they, all, they changed for the better, right? Come on, guys, it's Father's Day. You better say, oh, you, absolutely. Yes, they did. They changed for the better, so good things. Now, when you get married, here's one of the, one of the things that happens when you get married. When you get married... There's some things that you quit doing, and I've shared this with you before. One of the things that you quit doing when you get married is you quit dating other people, right? Oh, my gosh, y'all are awful. There's like two guys going, absolutely, the rest of you are like, yo, no, we're totally unfaithful. No, no that's not, when you get married, you change, and so here's what happens. You die, obviously, we need a refresher course on marriage, uh, when you get married, here's what happens. You die to all the other relationships. You don't ever look out and go, yeah, I wonder if me and that lady could make a connection. Okay, that doesn't happen anymore. Is that going to work with your wife? No, you're going to be a dead person. Okay, so what you do is you die to all other relationships, and now you are alive only to one relationship. Correct. And this where he said, yes, okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, the very similar sense. This is exactly what God's talking about. He's saying, when you come to follow me, you marry me, and you die to all the other relationships, all the other things of this world, and now you are alive only to one relationship, and that is to me. Now, does that mean we're going to live perfect lives? Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul said that we will not live a life of perfection until we die and we go to be with the Lord. Now we're told in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now the point is we all are going to stumble. We all sin. But when you become a believer, it is not to become a habit in your life. Because if it becomes a habit in your life, then you become a hypocrite. And then whenever your, your children, dads, whenever our friends began to look at us, they said, well, that's not something that's really all that important to him because he continues to live in disobedience. And Jesus had really harsh words for people who would lead other people away from God. In the verses I just read earlier in our chapter in Luke, verses, Luke 14, 1 and 2, Jesus said, if you cause other people to sin... It would be better for you to put on a cinder block necklace and tie it around your neck and jump into some water and just drown. And that's how serious Jesus is about us leading people away from God. So it'd be better for you to die than to lead somebody away from knowing who God is. Now, what does that indicate? That in indicates to me Jesus is saying, it, men, it is important that we practice what we preach. 
And so if we're going to be alert to that, there's some things that we need to understand. We need to understand how to handle ourselves when, so that we don't lead other people away from God. So, so, what, so what are some things we can do? Be careful of your moral choices. Understand that when you make decisions, there are people who are watching us. And if you're a dad, chiefly it's your children. Do you know, do you, God, do you know your kids are a whole lot smarter than you realize they are? When they're two years old, they, I, I promise you, they know what's going on. And they can look at your life and they can find out by the way you live and by the choices you make what's really important to you in your life. A kid, it's the kid's natural instinct to mimic and to pay attention to their parents. Yeah, I remember whenever we were, uh, when our kids were younger, one thing they used to like to do is they'd go into the closet and they'd go in and they'd put on, they'd put on our shoes. And you know, it's cute to see a little two-year-old kid walking around in your shoes and, you know, they would do that and uh, walk around the house and they're always too big and stuff like that. But, but it was a reminder to me, our kids, they are looking to walk in our footsteps. The question is, what kind of steps are you leaving behind for your kids to follow? And that's for me too. Now, I love the story about a dad who was, lived up north and he had a bunch of ice on his driveway and, and snow and so he needed to clear it off so he got his son, he had his son come outside and he got his aluminum bat and he began to you know, just pound the ground with it to break up the ice and he would shovel it off and he finally got all the ice off and he went inside to warm up for a little bit and, uh, and, and his son came in a few minutes later and his son's about four or five years old. And he said, hey, Dad, I've been helping you too. He said, oh, well, great. What would you do? He said, you had ice on your car, and I got it off. He said, really? He said, how did you do that? He said, I did the same thing you did. Use my bat. Now, you know, guys, that's what children do. Children will imitate you. So the question is, what kind of an example are you leaving behind for your kids, are, are you building people up? Are you pointing them to Jesus, or are you pointing them? Are you pointing them away from Jesus? See, Jesus tells us it's important that you and I that we practice what we preach, and one of the ways that we do that is make sure that we're not being a stumbling block in the way that we live. But then another step that he points out to us is one I think oftentimes as dads it's very easy to overlook. I know it is for me, but, but Jesus says, listen, if we're going to impact our children, if we're going to impact the lives of the people around us, one of the things that we can put into practice is this. We practice forgiveness. That's a really interesting one to me. In, in verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, be on your guard. He said, if your brother sins, rebuking. And if he repents, is forgiving. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, Jesus says, you must forgive him. Now, there's going to be times in all of our lives when people we love and we care for, and even people we don't love and care for. Oh, we're supposed to love everybody. But people we don't care for, they're, they're going to offend us. They're going to do things that hurt us. We're going to experience betrayal. 
We're going to experience people who let us down. We're going to experience people who lie to us and all these different things. And so the question becomes, okay, when that happens, how am I supposed to respond? And these, these actually, these instances turn out to be incredible teaching moments when our children are looking at us and they are watching us to see how we're going to respond. Because our typical nature is this. When somebody hurts me, I'm going to practice the golden rule, except for a little bit different. I'm going to do unto you what you have done to me. Now, that is the American version of the golden rule. It's like, if you mess with me, then let me tell you something. It's, I'm going I'm to double down on you. But here's the problem with that. That's not Christ-like. Well, that's not what Jesus has called us to do. What has Jesus called us to do? He's called us to practice forgiveness. Because when we don't practice forgiveness, then we're not giving the world, and we're not giving our children an example of who our God is. And when we don't forgive, you know what happens? We, we are filled, and with, with, what happens is that anger, it, it festers inside of us. And it grows inside of us. And when we've been wronged and we don't let it go, man, it dominates everything about us. I'm always amazed about that. You can, have, you, know, you can have 20 people come up and say nice things to you, and one person will say something critical. And what do you think about for the rest of the night? I can tell you what I do. I think about that one person. I totally miss out on the other things, and it, and it festers within me. And if I don't let it go, then it can dominate me. And that is such a dangerous thing. Listen to what Ephesians 4 tells us about, about being frustrated and being angry and having sin. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. Get rid of of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So here's the question. How am I to respond when someone hurts me? How am I to respond when I've been wronged? Because people are watching me to see how I respond. They're watching you. Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Jesus starts off by, first of all, telling us that we are to approach that person. Now, typically, when somebody wrongs me, I'm like, I'm not doing anything. They can come to me. I didn't do anything wrong. Make them come over here to me. Jesus says we are to be the initiator. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus says we are to go to them, and then Jesus says we are to rebuke them. Now, I'm like, yes. I'm a rebuker, y'all. I can rebuke with the best of them. But here's the problem. Rebuke does not mean that I'm to walk over to the person and say, hey, you big moron. You mess me around, and now I'm going to kick your teeth in. That's not what rebuke, that's not biblical. It's not what it means. Matter of fact, Ephesians 4.15 4 tells us that when we speak, we are to speak the truth in love. Oh, yeah, I'm like the first part, but then in love. So when I, when I come to someone and speak to them, I am to speak truth in love. Now, that gives me a picture. I can approach someone if I have a family member who has offended me, who has hurt my feelings. I go to them and share that with them. And say, so, you know, I, I, man, when you said that, that bothered me. 
I do that in love, by the way. Okay, and here's what I've discovered. When I do that, what I discover is oftentimes they weren't even trying to hurt my feelings. They had no idea. I keep telling my wife that. I had no idea. Okay, so, that's, so those are the things. And sometimes when they, if they meant it, and then sometimes what happens is they'll apologize. I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Or they might say, I did know that and I shouldn't have done it. And then how are we to respond? The Bible says, Jesus says, when they repent, you forgive. He says, even if they do it seven times in a day and each time they come back to you and say, I'm sorry, I repent, Jesus says that we're to forgive. Now that blows me away. I'm thinking, I can do it one time. Was it, you know, do it to me one time? Shame on me. Or is it shame on you? It's George Bush is a joke. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so we say, yeah, you, I, you get one chance and it's over. Jesus says, oh, no, they keep on doing it over and over again. He said, you continue to forgive. I love the disciples' response. In verse number five, the disciples tell us this. They say, Lord, increase our faith. That's impossible. God, I can't forgive people if they continue to wrong me and they say that they're sorry. Lord, I can't forgive like that. Here's the thing. Forgiveness for a believer gives a picture of who God is. Forgiveness for a believer, if you want to impact people around you, if you want to impact your children, you practice forgiveness because it is out of this world. It is unworldly. And we are to practice it because that's what God's done with us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness, you want to get somebody's attention, you practice forgiveness. This week in the newspaper, we've seen the power of forgiveness displayed. Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, a year ago, still remember it. A man walked into a church meeting and murdered nine people. Now you want to talk about a situation where the media was ready to come down and to watch the devastation that was about to take place because of what had happened. It's going to be, it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they came down and they went to Charleston Southern University the day after and talked to a young man whose mother had been murdered the day before. And they basically put a microphone in his face and said, what do you think? And he said something powerful. He said, I forgive. And it changed everything. Did it not? Unbelievable. I sat there and watched and thought, what is he saying? How did he say that? You know how he said that? Because that is the power of Jesus that works in somebody's life. You cannot say that by yourself and live it. But when it happened, people got a picture of Jesus. And it was a transformative moment. Now, I'm afraid that too many times we paint forgiveness like it's something that's easy to do and there's no cost. And I'm going to be honest with you. When you forgive, there is a cost. It is not easy. Jesus was honest about this. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. 
He must take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. If you follow Jesus, if we are serious about Jesus, we deny ourselves. One of the hardest things in the world to do is deny yourself. I live for me. But if I deny myself, I live for Jesus. And that's not easy, but let me tell you something. When we live for Jesus and Jesus works through us, then the divine begins to work through us and it works out of us and people will see God. Y'all, the world needs to see God today. It's not going to happen, dads, unless you and me allow Jesus to work through us. See, people are looking for hope. They're looking for a faith that makes a difference. Dads, we are the greatest influencers concerning faith than anybody else in the world. And when we practice our faith, our children will follow. Now, here's what I've seen over the last few years. We've seen seen people's trust in anything just absolutely crumble. See it in government, we see it in politics. I mean, this is an anti-establishment. I don't care what, what side of the spectrum you're on. Nobody likes the establishment right now. Why? Because they say one thing and they do another. They say, this is what's important in your life, and yet they don't live anything like it. And there's a lot of people now here saying, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm looking for something different. And I really believe that's where we are, spiritually as well. See, I'm afraid that the same thing, kind of things happen in our homes. I'm afraid that many times in our homes, we will hear people preach and say things in the homes, and yet, whenever our children look to see how we live, it's nothing like that. And they're going to be looking for answers somewhere else. Guys, dads, this is where we have a chance to make a difference. By not being a stumbling block. And by being, a men, being men who practice forgiveness. And we do those things, let me tell you something, Jesus comes through. People see Jesus. Now here's how I'd like to end the service. I'd like for us to end the service with this, with us just simply praying. And praying for a couple of things. One, I want to encourage all of us here, if we'll, in just a few months, we're just going to bow our heads, and I'd like for you to pray for the men of this church. The men in your homes. I want to encourage you to pray for them, that God would place his hand upon them and protect them, that he'll keep them safe, that there would would be uh, no spiritual dissension in the home, and that the men would love Jesus. 